Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, where we are always ready, right? (laughs) Thanks for joining us to lead, learn, and laugh. Learn market knowledge and best practices to lead your company's success. And that's whatever type of company you work with. And we have to have some fun along the way, I think, as well. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, today we're going to explore land and development in 2013. We'll find out about the latest on commercial development from a leading commercial general contractor who has been quite busy in this cycle and a super lawyer who specializes in zoning and entitlement. First, let's get a look at residential lots and the housing market. In past recessions, new housing construction has been a catalyst to lead us on job growth, consumer spending, and an improved economy. So let's see what we should expect for land sales, housing, and construction in 2013. Please welcome Brad Hunter, Chief Economist and National Director of Consulting with a Metro Study, the country's leading provider of primary and secondary market information to the housing and related industries. When it comes to making decisions about anything related to housing or development in the U.S., you'll want to talk to Metro Study. Brad Hunter, thanks for joining us today. Michael, good morning. Well, thank you. And uh, Brad, uh, many of our listeners are investors, lenders, uh, developers and builders dealing with subdivisions and lots. At one point in the recession, I heard we had years and years of supply of developed lots. How much has that improved? It's improved tremendously. We've gone from well over 100 months of supply in markets like Phoenix and Atlanta to a much lower level. And it's interesting, when you dig deeper into the information on lot supplies, you actually find that we have lot shortages in a lot of the hot sub-markets around the country. Nationwide, if you looked at our count, you'd see there's a 55-month supply of vacant developed lots, but there's only about a 15- to 18-month supply in areas like Gilbert and Chandler within the Phoenix sub, uh, Phoenix market, uh, the Forsyth County sub-market in Atlanta, Boynton, Delray, Boca Raton in South Florida, very tight supplies of lots and lots of lot prices are going up very sharply as a result. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good point. You guys do great research on your markets and your submarkets, and uh, yeah, it's interesting if you talk about the housing market doing well or doing poorly, uh, you, you can't do that. It's not a general statement. You've got to look at the individual uh, submarkets within these markets. And what about the supply of available new and resale homes right now? What do you see there, Brad? Well, things are very tight there as well. When you look at the resale markets, you see four months' worth of supply of uh, resales on the MLS in a lot of the hot markets. Um, one of the numbers that we count ourselves is what we call finished vacant supply. That's the number of homes that were built by the builders that are just sitting there still vacant. That used to be an extremely high number back in 2007, 2008. It started to come down quite a bit, down by a by two-thirds from the peak, and uh, so actually conditions are very tight. So now when a builder sells a house, they have to start construction on another house just to be able to keep up with demand, whereas three years ago they could just sell a house that was already built and already sitting there in their inventory. Right. And Housing Starts has, has been a catalyst for our economy for many years. Are, are new home construction numbers picking up steam, Brad? Oh, yeah. We're up about uh, 30% in some markets like South Florida, up by 60% over the last year. 
in markets like Las Vegas and Phoenix. Uh, you know, and these are markets that were so badly beaten. Everyone sort of said, oh, you know, Phoenix, that's a basket case. Mm-hmm. And now it's, it's just, you know, like the old adage about the Phoenix rising from its ashes. It's really, really leading the way. Um, and so these markets that were beat up the worst are the ones that are coming back the fastest. Overall, nationwide, we're looking for about a 20% increase in housing starts activity in 2013. That's interesting. That'd be great for for jobs and, uh, you know, in commercial real estate. You always hear that retail follows roof and uh, roofs, and then the uh, jobs follow the construction industry as well. I remember I used to get gas at this uh, gas station in my boat, and the uh, the guy pumping the gas would say, Michael, are you filling up? And I said, uh, yeah, of course I am. Why wouldn't I fill up? He said, well, when you fill up, it makes me feel good that the real estate is doing well. He said, when you come in here and get $5 worth, I'm selling everything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have to look for those leading indicators. Yeah, I heard people using the Starbucks index. If Starbucks business is up, then uh, then people must be feeling good because they're paying $6 for a cup of coffee. That's right. And these homes selling uh, help uh, consumer spending as well and uh, yeah. get some more money rolling in the economy. Are these homes selling? What is the velocity of closed sales? Has that improved dramatically? Yeah, velocity uh, has improved dramatically, especially in what we call the A locations. Those are the ones that are close in, close to jobs, close to where people want to live, close to the good shopping, close to the, you know, in the good school districts. Uh, builders are selling at an extremely fast rate on a per-project basis in those kinds of areas. Even the B areas are pretty, pretty strong right now. And not only is the velocity strong, but the builders are raising prices now. And, you know, that's something that's only been happening for about just over a year now, I would say, in large numbers. So we're, we're watching this happen. It's sticking. Builders are getting those prices passed through to consumers. Consumers are ponying up and saying, yes, I will pay that price. Why are, doing, why are consumers willing to pay the higher price as well? They're glad to see that we passed the bottom and that prices are moving up. They like that trend. They would much rather buy into a rising market that's just past the bottom rather than buying into a market that's still going down. They didn't want to catch a falling knife, so nobody wanted to buy back in 2010 except for the tax credits that were in effect then. Uh, boosted things up, but now people are buying like crazy in the in the solid neighborhoods. As you go to the C and D neighborhoods, it's still pretty slow. Right, that uh, catching a falling knife, a shook when you said that because <laughs> I heard that so much from investors in commercial real estate back in in the latter parts of '08 and '09, uh, and it's glad I think uh, in commercial real estate people are a lot more excited as well. What about uh, residential home buyer sentiment? Are buyers more optimistic now? Yeah, I think they are. You know, they're optimistic about their job situation and about their incomes relative to a couple of years ago. I mean, it's it's all showing up in the aggregate numbers. You know, we're not creating a whole lot of jobs, but we're a whole lot better off than we were when we were losing jobs. And so we've turned the corner in that way. Sentiment also is driven by the direction of prices. So as builders start to raise prices instead of lowering them, it starts to create this urgency that didn't exist before. People are saying, I better buy now before I miss my chance to get in near the bottom, just past the bottom when prices are just starting to go up. They're still well below 
peak levels and, uh, you know, not that anybody's ever counting on getting back to peak levels per se, but they like the direction. Buy into a market that's just started to recover and we're starting to see home prices go up. We're actually starting to see some people, uh, you know, speculate on new homes in some cases, but that's, you know, still a minor part of the market. So it is still heavily driven by end user demand, real home buyers buying a house for, you know, who'd have thought shelter, (laughs) you know, lifestyle and the things that really matter to them instead of buying it as a 401k, as an investment, as a speculative investment. What about household formation? What do you see there? That's turned around quite a bit as well. You had a lot of pent up demand over the last few years, people waiting, you know, doubling up, having a roommate, moving in with mom and dad, the statistics bear that out. And now we're starting to see that turnaround. People are starting to say, okay, now I've got a job now. I was having trouble getting a job before. I feel more secure. I've saved up some money, and now I can go and get my own place. Now, a lot of times that's a rental apartment or it's a rental house, but some people are saying, I want to get out and go buy something. Or they go and rent something, and then the person that was renting says, I've finally gotten to the point where I can buy something, and this is a great time to buy because the rates are low and the prices are low, and I'm just going to jump in now and you know, hopefully ride a wave back up and you know, get into something while I can still afford it. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Brad, what's your one-sentence forecast for 2013? I think there's, good, there's going to be increased home construction, increased home sales in tandem, increased prices of homes throughout 2013. And the crowd is clapping. Brad, thanks for joining us today. (laughs) My pleasure, Mike. If you'd like more information for Brad or Metro Study, visit metrostudy.com. Well, stay with us. We'll next look at commercial development in 2013 and see what to expect there and provide some tips and strategies for buying land and developing commercial real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. You may be listening to the show anywhere from Portugal to Hawaii today. The show has been broadcast around the world for two and a half years on iTunes, the show website, which is commercialrealestateshow.com, and on our flagship station in Atlanta on Biz 1190. However, in January, the show was also picked up by nine more radio stations across the U.S. We sure appreciate hearing from our listeners. And special thanks to show fans in Miami, Florida, listening in on 880 The Biz. And thanks for sharing the show on social media with your friends and followers there. Well, today we're exploring land and development in 2013. Please welcome my next guest, Stephanie Toothaker, director with the law firm of Trip Scott based in Florida, in in South Florida. Stephanie is director of the firm's land use, governmental relations, and procurement practice. She's an accomplished attorney representing large companies seeking land development entitlements. Stephanie, thanks for joining us today. Good 
morning, Michael. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Also, please welcome Michael Kaufman, founder, president, and CEO of Kaufman Lynn Construction, a full-service commercial construction company with extensive experience in education, healthcare, government, multifamily, country clubs, I like that, retail office, cultural, automotive, public safety, recreation, and faith-based nonprofit properties. Michael Kaufman, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Michael, and good morning, Stephanie. Glad to be here. And Stephanie, I'd like to, to start with you. You know, what types of development and zoning work has your firm seen most active lately? Well, I think it's it's no secret in the downturn that development was completely dead. Uh, there were days where literally, you know, we just we wouldn't see absolutely anything, any any development whatsoever. Planning and zoning boards weren't even meeting because there was <laughs> nothing on the agenda. What got us through in the downturn was government construction that stayed pretty active, and and as you know, most of the um, most of the firms were going after that government work. Where we've started to see the market picking up recently, it started with sort of small businesses that needed to get um, zoning in place to be able to open and strip malls. And what's been really hot lately is hotels and uh, rent the rental market. <clears throat> That's where we're seeing all the activity now. Okay. And in the, that Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, are you guys starting to see some condo construction again? Or? Not in Fort Lauderdale. I know there's been some activity in the market in um, in Miami, and I actually represent have represented a developer in Fort Lauderdale that's doing a condo project in Miami. Um, but uh, but in Fort Lauderdale, we've not seen the condo market come back yet. Okay. Well, it's amazing how this turnaround's happening in some of these markets. And Michael, your firm has been involved in some very interesting and cool projects. I think if it seems like looking at your website, if somebody wants a cool project that might be difficult, uh, they're giving you a call. What has kept you guys busy lately? Well, you know, it, it's true. We've, we've had our share of interesting projects, and, and uh, we're proud of those. The, the more technical, the better The better we perform, it seems. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of the most recent projects that was really a lot of fun for us and, and got us some pretty good national recognition was the Freedom Tower in Miami, which is uh, owned by Miami-Dade College. And uh, we did a historical restoration on that project, and uh, Engineering News record, record recognized that as the project of the year. So it was a real, real um, uh, nice icing on the cake on a project that was kind of difficult and, and took some real finesse. Um, but what's keeping us primarily busy kind of mirrors what Stephanie says, and, um, and that's multifamily. We have over 1,500 apartment units under construction here um, in South Florida, as well as uh, across the state. We still have some higher education that's, that's funded from uh, unique resources. We're starting to see activity in, in public-private partnerships with the state um, agencies which are certainly challenging and challenging and I'm sure Stephanie will will be involved with those as well. Um, and then Country Club, believe it or not, um, it's a financeable um, uh, commodity and um, and there's a lot of activity. Everybody's got to keep up with the Joneses, you know. <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those things. And we have one more I'll add to it, and that's a jazz venue. So when you talk about cool projects, it's a 300-seat jazz venue in Boca Raton, which is just a very, very cool project called Jazz is Nightlife. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and listeners, if you're not driving, if you're at a computer or something, check out KaufmanLynn.com and, and look at some of these projects. Uh, they're very interesting. And uh, let's talk about 
zoning. I mean, a lot of these cities and municipalities are are looking for tax revenue. Are you finding the entitlement process uh, right now? Is it, are planning and zoning participants more flexible, Stephanie? I think the the answer is yes. Um, you know, at the city commissions, planning and zoning boards, city staff. Uh, certainly started to understand how dramatically they were going to be affected um, in their tax base, in their jobs, when the downturn, you know, came about. And so what we found is that overall, um, city staff, planning and zoning boards, boards of adjustment, commissions have been much more open to new development, more supportive, more development friendly. It's made a big difference. It's been a big, a big shift in South Florida. And Mike, uh, what are your clients saying about zoning? Well, uh, I, I think they're finding the same um, the same effects from the downturn. It is it does seem easier to move projects through the approval process. However, um, it hasn't the message hasn't gotten down to the building departments um, and <laughs> or the neighbors. Getting building man alive, getting building permits is as difficult as it's ever been, um, and takes as long as it ever has, if not longer. So. You know, the, 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 unfortunately, the building departments were decimated um, with, um, with cuts, so they're very, very uh, – they're, they're not enough folks to do all the work, so it's taking a little longer. Yeah, we're finding the same thing. We're expanding one of our offices and getting permits to, to build that and uh, actually building a, a big TV and radio studio, and uh, it's taking a long time to, to get the permits. It is – a little frustrating. Well, Stephanie, what are some tips that uh, you can share with our listeners about z- getting zoning approved and entitlement these days? Well, I would say that one of the most important things you can do is do your due diligence up front. Um, a lot of times, by the time someone hires a zoning lawyer, they've already closed on the property, and then they find out that their zoning is not compliant with what they want to do. They Oops. need to go through a lengthy, <laughs> you know, city process to do what they yeah. want to do. And and I and I've actually seen instances where where ultimately they can't. They they can't do what it was they had originally planned. It's a mistake that a lot of people make. Um, they'll close with a real estate agent who maybe doesn't understand the zoning ramifications. And we always recommend that if you are purchasing a property, if you're buying a foreclosure, anything really. Um, do your do your due diligence up front. Hire a, a land use consultant or attorney that knows what they're doing and can advise you if what you ultimately want to build you or, or or open that you can do with that piece of property. And so, if somebody is, is planning a development, they're looking at a project. Uh, they should get uh, their plans together or, or pretty much what they think they're going to do there and come to see you in the beginning to get an idea of what the success rate might be. Yeah, they don't have to spend the money on plans. I'm not suggesting that you need to run the plans through um, through the city, but but just a zoning compliance really is is the bottom line. You know, for instance, in in Fort Lauderdale, um, sometimes you know people make the mistake that if an office was there prior, that they can move in and open a medical office, and that's not always the case. It has a, a different parking requirement. Sometimes you can't meet the parking requirement, and um, you know it's 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 an easy mistake to make. So it's it's not necessarily spending the money on on developing your your plans, but at least do a due diligence with a zoning expert that understands whether or not what you what you want to open can be done. Yeah, that's a good point. Do it before you close or before you get out of your due diligence period. We're we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to talk about tax breaks and governmental incentives for development. So stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back.
The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show, where uh, dancing in the studio is not allowed, crew. and no, <laughs> no dancing. Would you like an easy button to attract more visitors to your website? Well, you can now download a free widget providing your site visitors access to informative commercial real estate show videos and audio podcasts right on your website. Just visit Commercial Real Estate Show and look for the widget on the homepage, and after you load it, it works automatically. Today, we're exploring land and development in 2013 with Stephanie Toothaker with Trip Scott and Michael Kaufman with Kaufman Lynn Construction. And uh, Stephanie, I'd like to ask you about tax breaks and other governmental incentives. Are you seeing more incentives for developers these days? We are. We are seeing more incentives. They're really centered around, um, at least in, in Broward County, they're centered around job creation. But um, but they are available. They are available through the county, through the city, and, uh, and, and, and ultimately through the legislature. And you do see more companies going after them, and it's part of the service that we provide. We look at whether or not there are incentives available for any um, for any new uh, new new development. Yeah, I think that's important. So so you're looking at national and, and local. Uh, you're looking for credits. Uh, you're looking for property tax breaks. You're looking for everything, right? Everything, Every, everything, soup to nuts, whatever's out there, whatever's available. Um, you know, you're you're just you're seeing a lot more of it. You're seeing more of it on city and commission agendas. And, and I think companies have gotten smarter about asking for them. Uh, and they, they're, they're really important. They can be really important when you're doing a pro forma on whether or not a development works, what kind of incentives are out there. And right. And what are some sources uh, for the listeners uh, if they're looking at a project to see what kind of incentives are out there well, you know, honestly, the, both the county and the city put out some some pretty, you know, um, comprehensive packages of information. The the Broward in in in, uh, in Broward, the Broward Alliance works very closely with new developments to try to help them identify these incentives. It's just a question, basically, of getting to the right people that they can walk you through the process. So. In Fort Lauderdale, you know, you would go to the Office of Economic Development. Um, at the Broward Alliance is a is a is a is a private entity that helps you know manage the the process. We do it. We provide it as a service to our clients. And I think um, through Broward County, there's a, there's also an economic office. And it, uh, frankly, a Google search can help you come up with it. But calling a you know calling a land a land development attorney or a development attorney in the in the region where you are probably that person should be well aware of what's available, what's out there, how to apply for it, how to get it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's and important, Michael. If mm-hmm. I can, yeah. uh, just to add to that a little bit, up um, a little further up the coast in Palm Beach County, the organization is called the Business Development Board, the BDB, um, and they've been very successful in attracting new business to. Palm Beach County. Miami has its counterpart. Um, they all work in concert together. Um, they they don't try to pilfer from uh, each other's areas, and they do a lot of good work. Um, so that's a great resource for anybody coming into the area uh, to start with, and they can lead them right down the right down the right path to get those, as well as uh, indoctrinate them to the school systems to to um, the, the culture of the area. There's a lot of good things these organizations do. 
And Mike, Mike touched on a really important point in the Tri County area, which is which is Palm Beach, Broward, and Dade County. They, the 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 three counties have an agreement that they will not go after businesses that are in each other's counties. So, for instance, if a business wants to move from Miami to Palm Beach, a lot of times those incentives are not available to them because really what they're looking for is try to bring people from outside the area to you know to benefit the whole tri-county area yeah that's a great point and wherever you're listening across the country you know, there's uh, organizations in, in most of the major markets that where you can get this kind of help and uh, so uh, just reach out to uh, to someone and find it and you know construction volume has been low over the last several years Mike and some people feel construction costs should be lower where are construction costs today well, I personally think construction costs should be much higher, but, <laughs> but that is self-serving. And the reality is construction costs are somewhat higher. And it's primarily because of these macroeconomic issues, not microeconomic issues. And that is when, when we hit the wall in 2007, 2008, um, just in our state, we had a 25% unemployment rate for construction workers. Uh, what that meant is they just kind of left. Mm. So there was flight from the industry. Um, there is less construction talent um, currently. If you're if you're a follower of, follower of macroeconomic trends, you know that will change, and the labor will come back to the market, and I'm confident of that. But in the meantime, wages have gone up, um, commodities have gone up, and in fact, since third quarter of 2008 until the end of 2012, we actually saw a 13% across-the-board increase in construction costs. It was driven by fuel and energy, raw materials, and labor. Okay. We're going to have to take a, a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about the future of construction costs and the availability of construction financing. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. Does your company provide professional services to the commercial real estate industry? The Commercial Real Estate Show is an excellent way to reach your target audience. For advertising options, visit CommercialRealEstateShow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have some very interesting shows coming up for you, including a show on the state of commercial real estate auctions, an update on the hotel industry, and an interesting show about some of the top issues surrounding commercial real estate contracts. You don't want to miss that one. Be sure to catch shows of special interest to you. Sign up for a once-a-week email announcing the show topic at commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're exploring land and development in 2013 with Stephanie Toothaker and Michael Kaufman. And, Michael, you talked about construction costs. They're they're higher than some people would have expected possibly at this point. What do you see for the rest of this year and moving forward into next year for construction costs? Michael, you know, uh, in the previous segment I mentioned that over the last um, um, uh, eight or nine quarters, prices have risen about 12%, 12 to 13%, and we st- will still see that kind of um, velocity uh, going forward. We can at least project that for the next four quarters. Um, one of the primary drivers is labor cost. We're seeing wage inflation come back into the industry. 
So whereas um, labor and management in construction took pay cuts in 2008 and 2009, they've uh, finally risen back to, to a natural level. And now, since the market is heating up, they're actually getting raises. So we're going to see construction costs continue to rise. Um, and then depending on the big commodity picture uh, internationally, the global commodity picture, that will affect us as well. So you see the increase in things like concrete and steel? Concrete, steel, copper, PVC, all those things we use for construction are all subject to that. And, um, you know, China is still building. Um, and um, there is um, uh, steel has been most directly affected by that. Uh, and uh, we're seeing it. It's still happening. It's, um, it's not rampant. It's controllable. It's somewhat predictable. Uh, but, you know, as we always say, we'll see. Yeah, that's right. Well, Mike, the availability of financing uh, certainly affects commercial real estate and, and development. Are your clients that, that want financing, are they easily finding it today? I, I don't think easy financing um, <laughs> since 2007, 2008 is a term of uh, art or term of uh, uh, definition. That's, that's absolutely impossible. Yeah. Non-existent. <laughs> but it has become available. And uh, up until, I would say, um, a year ago, it truly wasn't available. But we're seeing it um, come to fruition in multifamily projects, in hospitality, um, and a new emerging market of senior housing. Uh, senior housing is definitely financeable now, and we're starting to see some activity in that sector. And again, the other one, which is kind of unique to Kaufman Lynn, is country clubs. Mm -hmm. um, since they have a population that they can assess, they can finance. So they're doing a lot of work. You know, from a from a development perspective, um, what what my what my clients complain about is that it's not that financing isn't available. It's that either the terms are not are, are not acceptable, or that the banks will only lend on something that they perceive as a completely safe deal. So, in other words, you know, I've got some projects that stayed alive through the downturn because the Florida legislature passed some bills that basically gave extensions to development permits. So, things that got approved in like 2008 are still alive, but they still can't find financing because the banks don't consider them safe. On the other hand. I serve on the advisory board of a bank that's very anxious to lend, but they're not, they can't lend on projects that they consider marginal. And so what you're seeing really is that projects that are totally safe, which by the way, I think, um, you know, residential development, new, new uh, you know, uh, multifamily residential development is considered safe, whereas, you know, condo construction still is not considered safe. So the financing is out there, but it's not, and I think until the banks are willing to lend money on projects that are a little bit riskier, I don't think we're going to see real movement in the market. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's the same thing we see in our business, uh, that if you don't need the money, you can get the money. And I think another point for, for listeners may be to, to shop around. Don't let uh, one lender tell your project is not financeable because that may certainly not be the case. Well, what about finding properties, uh, Stephanie? Are developers you work with easily, easily able to find suitable sites? You know, after the after the downturn, you know, just prior when we were in boom years, at least in in South Florida, what you saw was a lot of development was moving west, where where it was just raw land. 
after that after that boom, people started really looking more towards redevelopment, and you're seeing a lot more, um, you know, inner, I don't want to call it inner city, but but downtown redevelopment. The sites are definitely available. You have to be a little more creative. You've got to do a lot of um, a lot of compiling sites. You can't just go in and buy a site and this is ready to develop. You, you end up having to, you know, buy different properties and, and put them together to redevelop, but they are available and you and you are seeing a lot of property change hands again. And Mike, what do you see? We're short on the break, but what are your uh, your clients seeing? I, I think on a national level, it's um, it's uh, a different in each market, and um, it, it's going to be um, different in South Florida as it is in Washington. It's going to be different in in uh, Boston as it is in 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 Arizona. But um, you know. I think the the magic to it is working with professionals, whether it's your uh, law firm or your contractor or your architect, that have uh, land acquisition people. So leveraging those partnerships to to help developers find that land. Um, there's always that one piece that somebody doesn't know about, even though they do the extensive geotracking. And um, leveraging the partnerships will help in every market. Yeah, that's a great point. We have four brokers at our shop, and all they concentrate is on a land in the southeast. So, yeah, find a professional and let them help you. Well, a quick break. More on land and development. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Sometimes opportunity comes along because you're at the right place at the right time. A commercial redevelopment site on Peachtree Street in Buckhead, Atlanta, appraised for $7.5 million, is now available for $5 million. For more information, visit the homepage at bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. If you'd like to know the absolute latest on any commercial real estate-related topics, check out our on-demand show podcast. For example, we had a recent show on mixed-use developments, a show on how the tax changes of 2013 may affect commercial real estate industry, and a show on the hot single-tenant net lease investment market. You can access these shows anytime on your smartphone or computer. Just visit iTunes or the show website, commercialrealestateshow.com. Well, today we're exploring land and development in 2013 with Stephanie Toothaker and Michael Kaufman. And uh, I'd like to ask you, Stephanie, about some of the issues that are uh, facing developers today. You know, what are some of the some best practices or mistakes uh, that folks should avoid related to entitlement development or, or the construction process? Um, one of the biggest issues facing developers today is is noise and the neighbors. As you see more redevelopment of downtown areas, uh, you have old existing condominium towers and you know restaurants trying to go in. Hotel hospitality is very hot right now. Um, the right of a hotel to use its outdoor spaces without interfering with the quiet enjoyment of of the neighbors. That's a very hot issue. Uh, cities are grappling with it all over the United States. We've been following trends in San Francisco and Delray Beach and in Fort Lauderdale, Miami, Miami Beach. It's a very difficult issue on how we how we deal with that. I would say, you know, do your due diligence up front. Don't wait till you close to to consult with a zoning expert, work with your realtor um, to make sure you understand what the uses on the property are and what restrictions are. 
the, the last point is that try, try if you can to meet with your neighbors up front. We're seeing trends that, um, that a lot of communities are actually changing their codes, so you have to meet with the neighborhood groups before you even apply for your, for your, uh, for your project. Yeah, that's a good point. The uh, host in the studio next to me came over just a minute ago and said, "Turn down your bumper music, Michael." <laughs> Banging on the walls. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You could well, be violating code. <laughs> that's right. Well, Mike, uh, what do you see? What are some mistakes uh, to avoid in the process? Well, you know, it's an interesting point in the cycle, and you know, uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm a, a firm believer in watching the macroeconomic economic uh, uh, factors in our business and. Um, here's where the real risk is right now, and it lies with subcontractor failures. Um, it may be counterintuitive, but at this point in the cycle where we're emerging out of a very deep downturn, it's the most risky point for our subcontractors. So um, the way to avoid that is pre-qualify, pre-qualify, pre-qualify. Understand your sub's capacity. Understand your subcontractor's labor force. Certainly understand your subcontractor's financial perspective, position, um, and bonding capacity. Problem is, going into the downturn, we all took work very cheap, subcontractors especially. They worked on cash flow right into the trough. At the trough, they still had that very cheap work, and many injected cash to cover that. They've now used both of those resources, cash flow and cash, and coming out of the re- in, through the recovery, they're starting to get better work, but they can't handle it financially. So we're starting to see subcontractors fail, and we hate to see that. We try to support them, uh, as any good contractor would. But it is a risk to the overall development process. All right. Well, the show has to end here. Give us a one-sentence ten- one tip to end the show, guys. Do your due diligence. Watch macroeconomic indicators. <laughs> Stay ahead of the cycle. Sorry. <laughs> and listen to Michael Bull. There you go. Listen to the commercial real go. estate show. Well, those are good tips. Do your due diligence and and uh, get help along the way. Well, Stephanie, uh, Mike, thanks for joining us today and sharing your insight. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank uh, you. To reach anyone on the show today, you can find their contact information at commercialrealestateshow.com. And I have an invitation for you as a listener. Can you join us next week? Well, I hope so. We'll look at commercial real estate auctions. There's lots of various types of auctions these days, and the process has changed uh, over the years. So thanks for joining us today. I'm Michael Bull, and until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is made available by professionals at Cone Resnick, BB&T, France Media, and Bull Realty. For more information about these companies or to access additional show podcasts or videos, visit commercialrealestateshow.com.